Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. Our first guest is the corporate craft beer director for Tap 42 Craft Kitchen and Bar, South Florida's fastest-growing craft beer restaurant chain. According to co-founder Andy Yeager, our next guest has become the true face of the brand. His ability to curate the 42 taps that the company is named for has been instrumental in the meteoric growth of the brand. What's the secret to their success? We're about to find out. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Lee Hunter. Thank you for joining us in person here inside the tap room. It's uh, good to have you here, man. Absolutely, man. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for taking time out of your day. So what is the origin story of Tap 42? How, how did the whole thing get started and by whom? Cool. Yeah, that's a great question because, uh, you know, we uh, as we expand in our brand, we kind of forget that that origin, the history, know, the history. <laughs> um, you know, we started back in 2010. So we're coming up on 12 years here um, in South Florida only um, two brothers uh, kind of in the restaurant and uh, real estate, you know, bought, bought a building from the 30s, uh, renovated it to be something cool. Um, Sean and Blaze McMacken, um, they created a restaurant that they weren't sure what it, what it was going to be. They had a bunch of beer on the wall. They had liquor coming through the, you know, Cobra Taps, you know, ice cold. Right. <laughs> um, and then uh, they brought on a partner uh, named Andy Yeager, a uh, restaurateur from Chicago, uh, down in South Florida now, worked for the, the um, Houston's group, right. Hillstone. And uh, he saw the, the, the brand that they were creating and said, you know what, this, this could take off. This is a good brand, solid brand. Um, what they were creating there, they just needed a little guidance. And uh, he came on as a partner. Um, helped grow that brand to become popular in Fort Lauderdale and then uh, kind of use some of his connections outside of that to, to say, hey, this, this, this could go national if we wanted it to. Um, so their goal um, was to make Tap 42 a household name in South Florida and really like saturate that market and say, like, we are a strong brand. This is what we're going to do. We need to execute on all four corners because <laughs> the brothers – you know they were doing wings and fries. You know right. they they were just uh, they were just trying to be a bar. Where was that first initial building? The uh, initial building was Brownies, a jazz bar from the '30s in uh, on South Andrews Ave in Fort Lauderdale. Um, so really like dirt floors, right? You know, open, yeah. open at six a.m. <laughs> um, but they also had Ella Fitzgerald and you know Duke Ellington play, right? So they had okay. amazing jazz acts from from back then. Um, but they renovated the building, obviously, because it needed it. But uh, they kind of started that brand. And uh, when Andy came on board and recognized what it could be, he said, let's do this. And nice. uh, really, his experience in restaurants um, helped us be where we are now. And then uh, I came on board a few years in, about 2012, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as, a, as a, a guy from the Northeast that grew up around good beer, it just made sense. Right. The landscape wasn't really there yet down here. So... Um, here we are now. So uh, the number 42 is significant to the fans of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. 42 is the answer given by the supercomputer to the ultimate question of life. Absolutely. The universe and everything. 
clear up the mystery. Uh, is that what inspired the the number, the name? Well, to be honest, our uh, original beer wall had forty two draft lines, okay. and so we had forty two taps. We are tap forty two. <laughs> now we adopted that that obviously that um, that, that you know reference, right. um, and actually our forty our, our first collaboration beer, our house beer, was with uh, Funky Buddha. Um, they kind of started around the same time as us. We right. had a, a similar like growth path. And uh, we, uh, we made 42 Truths. Nice. So that became our first house beer. It's it, since been retired, but uh, that was uh, kind of like we adopted that, that reference as well. Nice. So how did you end up meeting Andy Yeager? Um, you know, I, I grew up in restaurants. been in them about a quarter of a century now. Um, you know, starting my parents' restaurant back in, in Maine. Oh, wow. And, uh, and uh, now I'm, I'm a restaurateur, I guess. <laughs> but I came down to South Florida um, you know, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and, and was looking for a place to, to go. And, and it's funny, my now wife, when I was looking for a job in Fort Lauderdale, we loved going to Tap 42 because we loved trying new beers. That was kind of like part of a, you know, a big, strong part of our relationship. And uh, she said, why don't you try Tap 42? We love it there. Why don't we go there? <laughs> um, so I, I did, and, and um, I sat down with the general manager. He immediately passed me on to Andy. I sat nice. down with him. Um, at the time, there was one store, four managers, and uh, they were looking for another one. Um, uh, he, he has an energy about him that, uh, that you can't turn down. Um, and so he, I was looking for a bartending job, and he said, why don't you want to be a manager? No. I was like, let's try it. <laughs> J- jump right in. Exactly. <laughs> jump right in. So can you explain to the listeners, uh, what is the general concept behind Tap 42? Tap 42, like I said before, started as this like, hey, look, we're a bar. Like wings, we fries, stuff beer. like that. Yeah. yeah. When Andy came on board and he's a, his name will, will keep coming up, um, he recognized that to be uh, strong in this industry and to be strong in South Florida particularly because they don't necessarily lean on chain restaurants right. heavily. No, so no, they, they, they really don't want to adopt no. those. So we had to be a stronghold in all departments. You know, we hit the four corners of beer food, cocktails, and atmosphere. Um, and he recognizes that because that's where that's been ingrained in him. Um, and he takes on people that understand that or he can teach that. Um, so Tap 42 is successful because of what we hit and we continue to make ourselves more excellent at. How long after the success of the Fort Lauderdale did everybody realize that this would be scalable? That might not even be a question for me. I was still so young in the company that um, I, I mean, was, how long? So you guys opened in 2012. 2012. When did you open the next location? The second location was in Boca Raton. Okay. Um, and that opened, I want to say, 2014 to 2015. So it, okay. was a, it was a few years in right. before they, they knew they wanted to. Right. Um, but they knew they had to make the first one perfect first and make people understand that we were a brand that, was worth going to somewhere else. <laughs> was the finance for the opening for the next locations all brought w- from within? Or, I mean, is it was it seized from without? To, to my knowledge, it was all from within. But again, that's... Right, I mean, obviously, by having a business that is successful and is always operating in the green, should fund you enough to be able to open another location. Ideally, yeah. I know we've used... Uh, we've, we've reached out to other partners um, in the past, um, and I don't know the... the Right. extent of those those uh, investors but um i think moving forward i know our last few openings have been completely financed from within so we 
we recognize, you know, and, you know, we, we're, we're in 2022, so you kind of have to talk about COVID, right? Right. So we recognized during the shutdown how strong our brand really was when we had flocks of people doing takeout. And, you know, we were reduced to just management and uh, we were unbelievably successful. And that's really difficult to say out loud because, you know, so many businesses did not do well. But we, we were so unbelievably successful during that time that we recognized we're, we're going to go places. Nice. How many locations do you have now? We just opened up our ninth location in Kendall. Okay. And that's within a 10-year period yeah. across South Florida. I mean, that's nine locations, 10 years. I mean, that's awesome growth. <laughs> that's a great pace. I and, mean, and if you count our sister concept, Barita, that's 10 stores. Oh, really? Um, 10 stores in 10 years. Wow. I mean, obviously, you, you guys have found a winning formula. What do you think that formula is, and why do you think that Tap 42 has been able to grow so quickly and outpace the other gastropub chains? Um, I think standards, quality, um, and constantly, you know, I don't want to say micromanaging, constantly managing those, those quality standards right. um, is huge. And, you know, you can have, you can pour good beer, you can make a great drink. Um, service is key, 100%. That's, that's a non-negotiable. You know, people come back to places for the people that they come back to. Um, but then the food is the other part of it. We have an executive chef that's a um, Johnson and Wales, Ritz Carlton, um, great pedigree, great, great, uh, you know, uh, history, and uh, um, he uh, he is is the brains behind all of the food. And he took on a a, a menu that was a little more um, uh, cheesecake factory in, in, in form, <laughs> or that it kind of touched all bases. And he right. said, "This isn't functional. Right. Number one, to to be successful, spread too far apart. Yeah, yeah. and number two, to to scale up." Right. So we brought that into what's South Florida good for? What goes good with, with beer and cocktails? You know, we have burgers. We have fresh seafood, hand-cut in-house. We have um, new exciting dishes. We're always trying to push the trend in that sense or follow the trend. You do both. Um, and, you know, I think we, we recognize we're not too um, cocky in that we recognize if something's not doing well, there's another option out there, and we're going to make that one. Right. So, uh, you know, and that goes for drinks, beer, food you know the atmosphere itself it's this isn't working we're going to change it and we're going to be successful and i think those kind of open-minded set of eyes is, is a huge to our success and talk about the success of tap 42 according to andy your most important role of tap 42 has been to curate the beer offerings how did you figure that out in the beginning and, and how has your tap list changed over the time like you had mentioned you know you can throw good beers on i mean not all beers are good beers. I mean, it is. I think it is important to have great beers on draft because it draws more people in, like having us on draft. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You got to have the best. Well, you know, but how did you figure that out and how has it kind of morphed over the 10 years? I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I love talking about this because um, there's no doubt that we're not. I don't know if I can say other names on here, but we're not the laser wolf. You know, we're not going to carry. You're, you're not going to carry the super niche stuff we also have to look at the success of our business you well, know i mean i also think if we dive into that i mean it's good to have those local brands but like to get super niche on stuff that people don't really know about doesn't always draw people into drink for sure you know what i mean people want to drink what they know and they are kind of open to new ideas but if it's an established brand that people know is good quality is it more easy to sell for sure and and you you uh you kind of hit it right there too. 
people aren't going to go out to dinner and experiment on something, a brand that they don't right. know, a style that they're not right. familiar with, and pay the price that, that a restaurant's going to have to charge for that. Right. Um, you know, when you think of a festival or you think of like an event or a brewery, you know, right. you, yeah. when you travel and you go local and we have That's so many. Experiment. Exactly. Right. That's when you try. And, you know, I go on beercations. I never go anywhere without right. trying to find out if there's a brewery in the area. Right. Uh, so if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm not going to travel, go out to dinner and order something crazy that, right. I, that I'm going to have to either send back or, or pay for. Uh, I'm going to go to that, go to the source. Right. You know, say like, hey, how's your Pilsner? Uh, let's right. try something clean. Okay, let's try your, your hazy IPA right. um, and, and, and really experiment that way. So we've recognized too, or I guess, I guess in a sense I've recognized is I've kind of taken over that fully. We started as, as kind of like what's available. And we had big national brands, international brands, um, because that's what we could get. The, right. the, like I mean, said, 10 years ago, right. Down the here, landscape yeah, exactly. didn't exist. Right. As we, as we morphed and as I kind of took over and, and decided, like Andy gives me full range of the beer program and says like, make it what you want it to be, but make, make it successful. So, um, you know, I, I recognized quickly that uh, craft beer in South Florida is growing quickly. So we right. needed to bring on local brands. So if you compare, you know, the menus over the past 10 years, it's been reduced as far as international influence, even national influence and national brands. Uh, as we expand, I try to go hyper local in, a, in a, a good portion of the menu, and then state of Florida because we are a Florida brand. Right. Um, so I think bringing those Florida beers, even for the traveler outside, is going to want to see. Okay, you guys have stuff from Miami, stuff from Fort Lauderdale, stuff from the West Coast of Florida, um, but you also have the familiarity of the Lagunitas IPA. Right. You know? Of course. Um, so like yeah. people are going to want that. You have to you know, both cater to the creative and what people are going to drink. Right. And the people coming in from out of town. Exactly. That don't necessarily know. And again, like we talked about, don't want to try something new. You're listening to the beer hour and we're speaking with Lee Hunter from tap 42. So you, you also have a craft cocktail program. Absolutely. How did you set that up? And did you just start with beer and then add cocktails or was cocktails always part of the program for the job? Spirits were always part of the program. Right. Um, we brought on, so my you know, co-beverage director, if you will, right. um, her name is Paige Nast, um, and she, uh, Paige Calero now, um, she uh, kind of was, was brought on um, by Andy in the beginning because he, he recognized, again, you have those four corners. You got to have great food. We're a beer bar. You got to have great beer. Um, our atmosphere was second to none, and you know, we have to have a good cocktail list because inevitably people are going to drink cocktails you know, you're going to have someone that's going to come in that doesn't want beer um beer exactly yeah. and and you don't want them to say oh i don't want to go to tap 42 because they don't have any good drinks so let's right. go somewhere else you never want to hear that no so um we brought on Paige. Paige is our expert our mixologist um and she does a fantastic job both again pushing the, the boundaries and the trends and um and following what people are going to drink and you know we've seen a, a, a swivel here in the last five years or so towards spirits lately. Really? Um, and I mean that, that cycle is, well, that's cyclical, cyclical for yeah. sure. So, you know, craft beer in general is taking a dip. Seltzers did a, a number on that. Right. RTDs are huge now. Um, you yeah. know, those canned cocktails, if you will, yeah. if, the, if the, you yeah. don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, craft beer is still there, still alive. Um, and I think to some extent that's because of the growth, you know, yes. down here anyway, the growth of these, yeah. these brewers that are popped up. Absolutely. Can you give us some kind of general revenue breakdown, like food versus beverage? I mean, we are a restaurant now. You know, right. I think you know, ten years ago, we we had trouble maintaining a, a particular liquor license because we were doing you know over fifty percent alcohol. Oh, really? It was we were just a bar, and we really? were, I wouldn't say we were just a bar, but we were right. a bar for sure. And we right. had a late night crowd, and and 
big party goers and huge groups. And our brunch is, is we pioneered bottomless brunch in, in South Florida. And, right. um, you know, we were spirits heavy, alcohol heavy. Um, now, um, you know, we still have our party stores in Coral Gables, you know, we still of have, course. you know, that, that, that push the boundaries on Friday nights with, with, you know, over half in, in alcohol, which is great. You know, oh, that, um, that is great, by the way. I mean, that is amazing. You know, if you can do that, that's impressive. And, and yeah. you know, you know, the profit margin on spirits and alcohol is that's just amazing compared yeah. to food. But, um, you know, generally like you look at our, our Aventura store, that's in a mall. You're not going to have people just getting, no, I've been there. Absolutely no. bombed at the no. bar. People are there. To, people are there to eat. They are. They're there to eat. And that, that store does 70, 75% food sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, their mix is much, much higher in food, um, you know, and, and we've just grown into that where people know that we have great food. We're not just a bar. Right. Um, and so that's a huge part of who we are now. Um, and again, it, you, you want people, people are going to drink more when they can eat more because I don't have to cut them off. I mean, food, food keeps people there. I For mean, sure. it, typically, I mean, when we see like here, like when food, which we have every single day, will increase revenue by 20, 30% exactly. on the bar side. So speaking on that side. What do you think your revenue split is cocktails versus beer? Right now, it's very heavy. Um, spirits and spirits. Yeah. yeah. And I would say two to one, two to one, maybe pushing three to one. Um, and I think, again, that's that's the climate right now. That's the uh, That's the kind industry. of what we've gone. I mean, when I started this place seven years ago, to me, Miami was always a cocktail town. For sure. Always. Always has been. I mean, growing up brave I mean, man starting a brewery in a cocktail well uh, exactly you know <laughs> what i mean and i think that's uh, i think it's everybody down here but it was more about education on craft beer as well and it's grown and we keep growing you know because florida's still an open market and it still has years to go in the craft beer unlike absolutely california colorado New the northeast yeah. you know what i mean we have a long way to go but it's still a cocktail town people still prefer to go out and have a cocktail than have a beer i mean in certain restaurant settings for sure Absolutely. And, and some of those places you mentioned, you know, California, Northern California, Chicago, the Midwest. They're drinking beer. Drinking beer. Oh, They have seasons to do that, too. Oh, yeah. They're experimenting right. with styles because right. when it's freezing out, I'm going to want to drink that barrel-aged porter or right. that, that stout. stout. Yeah, absolutely. Come wintertime when it's 20 degrees or below zero, you know, you want something that's going to warm you up. Exactly. And a cocktail is not necessarily going to do that. No. A nice, heavy, full beer is going to warm you up. And, and we talked about, you know, the... the the travelers down here in the tourism right. and, and people come down here for that experience of the I'm in the tropics. They want know. something tropical and yes, I want a tiki yeah. drink or I want a frozen pina colada <laughs> or, you know, right. Something along yes. those lines to, to make them forget yes. where they're from. <laughs> yes. Obviously the food component of the business is just as important as the beverage side. Some of your longtime standard dishes included crispy Asian calamari tower, prohibition burger, truffle flavor, mignon sandwich, grilled uh, salmon, zin rice bowl, which is great. By the way, uh, truffle sure. miso glaze. We've um, I've eaten at a bunch of your tap forty twos. Food is excellent. The brunch is amazing. What was the philosophy on the food side, like that menu? What what was it really trying to capture? I mean, is it more Asian inspired or it, like it's new, neo American? You know what I mean? It's uh, it's it's very fusioned in that sense. Um, you know, we called ourselves an, an American gastropub, right? Um, but you know, in a mix, in a, in a culture down here, like Miami, that's so mixed. Um, you kind of have to push things together, attack all the, all the demographics and, and see what, see what comes out. But you, you hit the nail on the head with those, with that list. Our crispy Asian calamari has been a staple on the menu since right. before I was yes. there. Yeah. And that is just still our, one of our number one appetizers. Yeah. Um, I, I just read a review the other day that said it was the best calamari hands on they've ever had. 
The only thing I would actually ask you to bring back is the turkey burger because uh-huh. it used to kick ass. Now I think it turned into a wrap. Yeah, uh, it, it turned into a wrap first, and then, and then it's, it's, gone. it's gone now. Oh. Um, yeah, um, you know we, we always get that. You know we always have to stay you know ahead of the curve, and, and right. you're going to disapp- No, you can't make everyone right. happy all the time. But yeah, I mean I, that's the thing with food. You have to stay ahead of the curve because if you're not ahead of the curve, people start to migrate away. I mean, at least that's what I see in South Florida. Over the years of living down here, if you're not ahead of that curve, people tend to start moving on to something else. You I mean, know what I mean? And, and that's an interesting point, too, because you're absolutely right. And, you know, both with traveling tourism down here right. and with um, just the, the, the nature of being such a mixed crowd and a self, not a self-centered, it's a crowd that's like very aware of themselves and yes, appearance yes. And, and what's new and what's trendy, <laughs> yes. you know, oh, yeah. to, to not to insult Miami, but like, no, I know. But like that's a totally different show, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, but you have to be new and fresh yeah. and, and interesting because people are going to get bored and they're going to try something new and there are new places popping up right. every day. I, yep. I look at, you know, all the amazing creative beers that you do right. um, in this little facility, right. um, you know, you have a, a festival of your own right. with, you know, I don't know how many beers 80, you make. 85 breweries will be there. It'll be over 180 beers. And how many beers know? do you make or have you like. We'll supply about 30 beers that day. Which is insane, yeah. you know, but you have to do, I think of DFPF, right. you know, yeah. you have to do something cool and creative and new and exciting. Um, and that was ahead of the curve with the, with the, and the, those fruited sours too. I mean, I think, it, I think the, it applies you know, as far as food is going, certain restaurants till you have established a brand. Like sure. we've established a brand now. Now we're seven years in and now we've had such a large portfolio of beers that we've done. Now we're actually going back to the beers that everybody wants out of that seven years of portfolio, you know, and that's what's happening. We're still innovating and still doing some new beers, but really we're going back to what put us where we are for sure. Cause that's really the beers that people want. So Absolutely. now it's on a rotational of bringing these beers back on a consistent basis. Cause it used to be that we were making three new beers every week. And I mean, and that, that gets exhausting as well Yeah, because people know. always want new things, but after a while you, you kind of exhaust your brain from creativity. And I think once you have that established brand, like you guys have with tap 42 and having the food and the drinks, you still kind of have to stay on that forefront, but not as much as when you guys first started. Funny you mentioned that too, because because uh, you kind of follow the same the same curve as as us. In that you know, back in the day when I first took over the program, we had twelve, fifteen rotating beers on, right? And they were one offs. They were single kegs, slims, yep. gone yep. in a day. Sometimes you know, yep. one twenty minute would pop in a few hours, right? Um, and especially in Gables, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and and speaking of Gables, that's when we took you know partnered with you. Right. And had 42 different oh, beers on yes. draft yeah, I, by Jonathan Wakefield. <laughs> that was that was unbelievable. One of the most exciting, crazy, that, yeah. you know, that, that hashtag was trending internationally. It was an amazing event. But to that extent, too, that's tiring. It's exhausting. exhausting. It's to, exhausting. To put on an event. You know, we did one uh, with uh, Funky Boot and Cigar City kind of side by side, yeah. similar type of event. And, you know, it was all me, you know, late at night tapping those fresh kegs. Staying there all day to make sure it was a success. The next morning, right. trying to resetting and pretending like it never happened. Right. It's yeah. a lot of work. Oh, it's a ton of work. And it was a, not saying that it can't be done, but to try to cultivate or accumulate 42 different styles or different brands of beer for one event that lasted one night was, yeah, it was crazy. It's, it's something crazy. to put in our resume. but And that was like, <laughs> and that was like what, four years ago? At least, yeah. And we were still, I mean, so we were only three years in. So 
our portfolio wasn't as large as it is now. So it was like, okay, what are we going to do? You yeah. know? So it's hard to keep up with that for sure. Like you had mentioned earlier, the company also has a super successful Mexican concept of Fort Lauderdale called Barrita. Can you describe that to for our sure. listeners? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the whole idea was a rooftop bar. Oh, nice. So we have this rooftop that overlooks, you know, the skyline of Fort Lauderdale. Oh, wow. Um, it's a really cool view at night, you know, sunset, uh, happy hour. Um, but it's a modern Mexican, you know. Um, we weren't trying to be, you know, there, there are plenty of amazing, authentic mm-hmm. Mexican places in South Florida. Mm-hmm. I've got like six taco shops. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's like, it's like uh, yeah. no more tacos. Yeah. So, so we yeah. wanted to say, okay, this is, our, this is our version. Last question for you. So what's next for Tap 42? Expansion, more restaurants within the state, other markets in the country, world domination. Like, what are you guys looking at? All here? of that. Yeah. All of that is, is, in, is nice. in the cards. Um, you know, I, uh, I work very closely with Andy and, the, and right. the ownership group and, uh, and of what's next on the plate. And he is such a great leader that, you know, he does these kind of um, recaps with us of like where, where we're at and where we're going. Um, you know, and he recently announced, you know, we're looking at properties outside of the South Florida market now. Oh, boy. Um, and, and I think they've established that, you know, our goal of being a household name right. is kind of there. Right. Um, yeah, and, and South Florida is there. Everybody there. knows South Florida. And, uh, and now you have people that have traveled in and out of town that they are in Orlando right. or maybe in Tampa right. you know, because we're a beer community now. So you have the beer community in Tampa that knows Tap 42. Right. So we're looking at properties in Tampa, looking in Orlando. Nice. Um, you know, Palm Beach as we creep up the coast. Um, you know, they've always talked about California, Chicago, Atlanta, um, you know, the other, big, the big metros, other spots that, you know, and they're going to do it smart, though. They're always right. going to do it the right way and never the fast way. Right. Um, the right way might be the fast way. Right. But they're always going to look uh, very smartly at the location, the demographic, the spot, um, master negotiators. Nice. Um, and uh, so okay. the, the world is next. Yes. I, I have a question. Sure. What are you drinking these days, Lee? You know, um, I have a uh, uh, 24th Street Brown Ale you by must, Jay Wakefield. There you go. <laughs> Let me tell you, though. You, you must sample like dozens of beers every week. I mean, what are you drinking like, you know, when you're off the yeah, clock? Absolutely. You know, and uh, well, in my uh, in my home uh, five gallon fermenter right now, I have a, uh, a parfait inspired beer brewed with oatmeal, soured with yogurt, um, okay. uh, treated with uh, blueberries and apricot. Um, oh, nice. so, so we're going to see how that tastes in, in another week oh, or so. Nice. Very nice. Um, but, uh, you know, the day-to-day, you know, sour beers are still, you know. Your wheelhouse? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a, a good, uh, you know, you can't turn, you can't say no to like a sequence shell from Dogfish Head. Right. It's readily available too. you know, it's something you can pick up at, at right. apply to Publix. But, um, but also like, it's not going to knock you on your feet after two. True. Um, Very true. But, uh, you know, I'm still a, a big IPA guy. Um, you know, the, the hazy New Englands are, are my go-tos, mm-hmm. but I drink all across the board. I drink, you know, 24th Street Brown is one of my favorite brown ales. And that's just, that's not just because there aren't many in South Florida. Well, that's because we're, that's because we're bringing it back into Tap 42. It's going to be at all the time. It's going to be at all the time. Well, I mean, yeah. it, it also checks that box. It isn't yeah. down here very much. You know, people don't yeah. want to necessarily sit on a heavy stout, but you have a nice light brown right. ale that, mm-hmm. that hits that nutty caramel. Right. It gets you the dark beer without the dark beer fullness and body. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's so what we're going for. But thank you very much, brother, for coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, and uh, I will be seeing you guys soon at Barita, too. For sure. So Try th- it out. Thanks, Lee. Thank you, Jonathan. You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is part of a beer-brewing brother tandem from the great state of Maine. Along with his brother Noah, he founded Bissell Brothers Brewery in Portland in 2011. With a strong focus on hazy IPAs, 
mixed fermentation beers, wood aging, and spontaneous fermentation, Bissell Brothers has garnered national and international acclaim in addition to an immense level of home state pride from craft beer lovers across vacation land. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Peter Bissell. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's, uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. So uh, what is going on up in Maine, man? How's everything? Uh, how's the weather up there, actually? Let's start with that. This isn't good. That's why we're coming to Florida next week to see you <laughs> folks. Um, it's not bad, but it's, it's, we call it mud season up here. So um, another few months, you won't be able to drag me out of the state. But for right now, uh, invitation to Florida is more than welcome. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, it's been wild. You know, it's been a wild roller coaster ride. Um, I am excited. You know, this is our first fest. And it was our last fest in the before times. Right, the before uh, times. Days before. Days yes. before shit, shit uh, turned. Nice. Um, so it's uh, kind of fitting that uh, we're returning to see you good people uh, down in Miami and actually pour beer for hopefully new fans again. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. So take us back to the very beginning of your craft beer journey. When did you and your brother Noah start homebrewing? And what was that first exposure what was your guys' first exposure to craft beer? So I moved to Portland, Maine uh, in 2005 was my first summer here. And then I had to go back to finish school at University of Maine, which is closer to Milo. Um, but, you know, at the time coming from Milo and then coming from UMaine, UMaine was like a window into culture for me because it was, you know, it's a, you know, it's, again, not big compared to some schools, but it's the biggest school in Maine. And it was like, okay, there's, I'm meeting kids from all over. That was a big kind of step for me. Uh, and then Portland, which is, you know, it's a small city as far as cities go, but it's very rich in food and drink. And now, so through the roof, I mean, it's gotten worldwide and national attention at this point, but even in 2005, it, it was like that. So coming down here and working summer jobs with my friends, it was like, it was just crazy. It exposed, it exposed me to the restaurant scene, uh, which would obviously go on to inform the rest of my career. So um, I was kind of like finding my way in Portland uh, from 2005, 2006 on. And my brother is a little bit younger than me. So he was still finishing up his, um, you know, his like mandatory school. And then he went to school at uh, UMaine Farmington, which is a little bit more rural. And that's where he started to get interested in, in nicer beer and fermentation. And then that kind of came to a head. He lived with me in uh, 2000, the summer of 2010. I have to think about this. Yeah. Uh, he lived with me for the summer of 2010 with me and my friends. And we were all working at this restaurant. Um, it was at a, I actually met my wife out there. It was a uh, slash is a fine dining restaurant on this island in, in what's called Casco Bay, which is the, you know, the bay, right, that the city sits on. Okay. And um, this is like quintessential Maine, lobster bakes. There's a ferry that goes <laughs> out there. It's not far. Right. But um, it was fine dining. And after I had done the, the previous summer there, and I, I was pretty in good with the bosses. And they said, you know, we need, we need more people for this season because it is a unique kind of lifestyle. You're you're working all day, every day for like six days a week, but you make great money and it's, it's fun. It's, it's crazy. So I grabbed my brother and said, all right, we're going to teach you how to open a bottle of wine. We're going to me and me and some of my other friends kind of like gave him some light training because he had never done fine dining. Right. And you know, this was like 
$300 bottles of wine and things like that. It was like big boating culture type. You okay. know, people were pretty free, but you still had to know a little bit. So we got him out there and that summer he would tell you, you know, he was not 21, but you know, beer was in the house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was when kind of, he tasted Allagash, you know, he was drinking Allagash white on the regular for the first time. And, um, I remember that summer, my roommates were like, you know, he was homebrewing a lot in our kitchen and in this, you know, townhouse in, in Portland, this like total bachelor pad. And, um, you know, <laughs> the, you know, they'd come into the kitchen sometimes and he'd be like in the middle of like a stovetop brew day. And, uh, uh, but but between seeing the restaurant culture, getting exposed to good beer from the source, like Allagash White, um, and, and just kind of like living as an adult kind of for the first time, I think that's what really sold him on Portland. He was already interested in, in beer and brewing. Right. So then okay. I was on a graphic design and photography. I was kind of like doing my own freelance work anyway and learning the skills of entrepreneurship and business ownership and accounting. I was kind of on my separate journey at that point. And then a couple of years later, uh, 2011, I remember it was Thanksgiving break and he was, he was still in college and he was like, look, like I'm, I want to do this. This is what I want to do with my life is brew beer. I don't want to work for someone else. We should do this together nice. and make something bigger than ourselves. And that was kind of like it. I was kind of on a, I was on a really good path. I, I was, I was uh, starting to get the gigs I'd always wanted and I was making a name for myself, but it was too irresistible. I was like, I saw the potential for like, this is going to become bigger than both of us if we do this right. So that was Thanksgiving, 2011 and Bissell opened and poured its first beer legally to customers a little over two years later. So, so by 2013, you guys opened the doors. So your brother came at it from basically the brewing side and you from the idea of opening a business. And you guys kind of obviously, put your heads together and open this thing starting in 2011 yeah. opened by 2013 yep i mean no one you were working at a gastro pub called the thirsty pig so naturally they had to be your first client of course can you describe describe that feeling of delivering those first few kegs of substance ale to a place where you worked i mean were you nervous that people might not like it or you're you know what was it you know what was that like for you that has just set me up for a amazing story that I'll never forget. Well, it's, it's not amazing. It was, it was one of the most nerve wracking times of my life. So, um, uh, uh, December 7th, it was the very end of the year. We started brewing at the end of November. So December 7th was the release party, like the Bissell brothers debut. Obviously you hit the nail on the head at the thirsty pig. And, uh, it was like a Friday night. We had entertainment, you know, so we're out at the brewery that afternoon. You know, it's like, it's going to kick off at like 5 p.m., let's say. So we're out at the brewery that afternoon. And we, we were very green. You know, we had never worked at another brewery. We had never done stages. Like we just, Noah had this recipe that tasted like nothing else available at the time. And I had done the brand concept and we had this space full of graffiti. You know, we had what we thought was going to be cool, but there was no, you know, this was not proven yet. And nor do we really quite understand the equipment that we were working with. Right. So we're going to fill like seven sixtals for this party. Okay. And we have the keg. We have one of those. I, I mean, you guys are probably familiar, you know, one of those keg washer fillers, like foreheads. Right. right. It's got the, it's got the, uh, the chemical reservoir, you know, yep. it's not like the, the fancy ones that we have now where it's, you push one button and then you can do five minutes of work and come back to it. This was like very manual. You had to stay with it. And like, <laughs> you know, we weren't, we weren't quite up to speed yet. So it, 
We're fucking with him. We can't. I'm sorry. Website. No, it's fine. It. You can it's totally serious. curse. It's serious. It's serious. It's serious. You're good, dude. So, you know, we're, we're trying to sanitize and wash these kegs, and we can't quite. Something's not right. We're filling them with water, but we have like a million kegs. So then it gets to be like three, three thirty. I'm starting to get taxed. People are at the pig already. Oh, and man. I'm like starting to get worried. You know, it's yeah. like okay, like what are we doing with this? We could not get this beer into these kegs. Oh, so it gets no. to be like four o'clock and now all like people are like, yo, the pig is totally yoked. Like, this is going to be great. Where are you guys? <laughs> so I'm starting to get incredibly nervous. You know, I was already like a shell of a man at the time after everything that we had been through, you know, right. learning how to brew was very traumatic and just stressful. So it was like, oh my God, like this has to go off. There's no other option. So, um, <laughs> I did end up, I fainted. I, it's the only time in my life that anything like this has happened. I, I fainted on the concrete floor. Oh my god! Um, when when I I it was I guess you would call it a panic attack. I right. Know, I, yeah. I came to I came to to my brother standing over me like it's gonna be okay, man. And um, <laughs> I the first, or the company that had sourced this this rig for us, I know for a fact there was another small brewery that slash is. Um, that had worked with them recently called Nice and uh, G N E I S S. Um, it's like a geology pun, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, so I called this guy that I'd actually gone to college with, Dustin Johnson, the owner of Nice, knowing that he had the same washer filler. And he he told me he said the um, you know the, the the Sankeys for these units come right from the factory, so the one way valve in them because you know Sankeys mostly are at bars, you know, right, it's mo- yeah. mostly here to go out of not right, in right he said the one-way valves on these the the nipples in in the sankey are still on there you need to open them up and take them off because in this instance we're putting beer through a sankey into oh, the keg so okay. you know the sankeys came from the factory re- like ready for use at a bar so yanked them off all of a sudden that was it we got the kegs filled it was undercarb, but it tasted incredible no one to taste anything like it and we jumped into the Green Bastard, which was the name of our first delivery van, flew them down, marched them right in overhead. The place was indeed totally packed. I lived downtown at the time. We delivered the beer, and then I just ran out. I went to my apartment building, and I, like, my wife, all my family was there, but I was like, I just need a minute. Like, that was the most traumatic thing <laughs> at the time I had ever been through. So I like collected myself. I changed my clothes. My ho- my clothes, obviously, in the early days were just always covered with hot matter and, yep. you know, just soaked every day. And I walked back, and I'll never forget that walk back to the party, through town, quiet, like, oh my god, they're drinking it. You know, it's nerve wracking. Of you course, guys have been absolutely, when absolutely. Put, <laughs> when you put out to the people like that, it was like, yeah. okay, like you hype this up, like this, and, and people loved it, and we drank all the beer. And everyone blacked out and talked the next day about how, like, there's no way that that's 6.6%. Of course. Um, I was like, I, I think it's pretty close. I think you guys are just not used to beer of this caliber. But um, but it was an incredible evening with uh, all our family and friends. But it was, you know, like, people don't see that. They don't see that. And I know you guys have been through it and, yep. and seen it and, like, don't see those moments where you're you're just want to, like, vaporize into space. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so it's, but it's fun to look back on now, you know. Yep. It's, uh, boy. You're listening to the Beer Hour, and we're talking to Peter Bissell of Bissell Brothers. So, I mean, 
after this, I know you guys probably got it all together and started fine-tuning things. I mean, you had a series of hits along the way, Substance Ale, Baby Genius, Swish, Lux, Reciprocal. How has your brother Noah's brewing style evolved since those early days, would you say? Um, the style has evolved. Uh, one thing I would say that I, I think looking back in retrospect we've done right is – you know, there was even, you know, back in 2012, 2013, you know, there was very few new flagships coming out. And at the time, it's funny how fast things have changed and evolved, but at the time in our market, nothing, nothing tasted like the substance. Right. Um, with like really candy hop combo um, with, with even then like low overall bitterness, you know, it just wasn't around. So we only made the substance ale for almost a year because we, you know, we started with two 20 barrel conicals. Right. That was all we could do to keep it going. And then by the time we started canning and, you know, we opened in December and uh, in February, we got our first manual cannon where we kind of, you know, we <laughs> manually like filling the can. Right. And then it was like, okay, we'd produce, we'd work all day to produce like 30 cases and then open on Saturday and they'd just be gone immediately. So, okay, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We need, we've created this and there's nothing like it and people are here for it. So we need to like rise up to meet this somewhat because it was insane. People would line up for like 10 cases and we on the, on the spot, we're like, well, shit, we can't sell, sell it by the case. There's 50 people in line. We literally have like 10 cases. Right. So it was day to day kind of pivoting. And because you have that responsibility, don't you? It's like, okay, yeah. like we've, we got what we wanted. You got what you wish for. And that with that comes responsibility to, to, to get it to where it needs to be and to not leave the customer shortchanged. So we spent almost a year just working on the substance, on the processes on the recipe, um, on, you know, communicating to the public when we would have it on the, the, you know, canning was another mystery. We knew we were trying to can, you know, beer that was like 42 degrees and like three volumes of carb. Like, oh, you know, we, we didn't quite understand the relationship between the temperature and the pressure and the right. CO2 content. And, uh, so that was another like brutal learning experience. Um, so we didn't get ahead of ourselves. Baby genius was the next one. And then we began applying, you know, what, you know, the processes that would work for any beer and began tweaking and gradually releasing more and more new beers. Um, so, I mean, that's 2013, 14, 15, 16, we moved here. Okay. And the next challenge for Noah was to, to double the brew house size. Cause as you guys know, like it's not, you don't just double every number on the paper. No, I, I think, I think not- that's, I think that's a big misconception in brewing is that you can just kind of go in. And, oh, well, I mean, we went from a 10-barrel to a 20-barrel, so all we got to do is just double all the numbers. We should be fine. That's exactly. not that's not yeah. how it works at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, so that was kind of his next mountain to climb was was to, to work on the processes here at our new facility, right. new batch sizes. Um, and then, you know, like his mind, he likes to stay challenged. So after – and it's never about – you're never done. Right. I was just telling our production team and our QC guys – I was at Sugarloaf, which is a ski resort, yep. last weekend with family. And uh, there's an on-mountain restaurant and bar called Bullwinkle's way up the hill that sells substance cans. And I grabbed one. We were with, we were with uh, friends. And I was like, I'm, I'm, it was like 1030, but I was like, all right, let's, let's go. You know, like the kids were in ski school. So it was right. like, all right, it's just the adults. 
So I grabbed a subby can. I was like, no, this beer is still getting better every year. You know, every right. batch, you know, we we're still working in beers better. Um, but that's because we have a, a, a team full of really talented individuals now to help with that. You know, in terms of Noah's creativity and Noah's drive, it's moved to loggers. Yep. Um, we have two horizontal tanks here, and we, al- we also have a fooder here at, at, in Portland that's mainly used now to age lagers. We have a Keller beer in there right now that I'm so excited for. Um, and then as we, you know, we're now at like 2017 when we're getting ready to open the facility in Milo. That's a cool ship. That's a ton of different barrels, a ton of different fooders. Um, that's mixed cultures. That is uh, a lot of time and you know, like surrendering yourself to the process. So that's, that's the world that he's in now, you know? So, uh, it's not about abandoning anything, but you know, when he works with his team to get, you know, the process on swish up to where he deemed, okay, like this is good. You guys continue to push this further. His brain is now fully in the world of mixed fermentation, spontaneous fermentation, the effects of wood aging, you know, the different barrel sourcing, um, that that's where his focus is now. Awesome. Awesome. So you've had this graduate, you know, climb and increase like in quality over the years. I mean, now you, you have your current location, you have the place in Milo. You are also a co-owner in another popular Portland business with Andy Geary and, and Baxter Key called the High Roller Lobster Company. Most of the press on the online reviews, I mean, I've had it personally because you guys served it at Wakefest. Oh yeah. How, how did that venture come about? So High Roller um, actually started at Bissell Brothers. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say st- it didn't start at, at Bissell Brothers. Andy and Baxter started High Roller. Um, I didn't know them at the time. Okay. Uh, they're from South Portland, where I live, and um, <laughs> it was a, a chance meeting. So back to the thirsty pig. Back in the back in 2000, this was 2015 in the springtime. It was right about now, so it was right. just about seven years ago. I we only had one kid at the time, and he I was with him. You know that was back in like kind of the wilderness time. Like my wife and I were just figuring it out as we went. Um, she was working for Bissell at the time. She now is the uh, director of HR for High Roller. Uh, but at the time, whatever, whatever, I was at the pig killing time with my infant son or young son. Um, and he was on a carrier on my chest and I'm out on the back deck of the pig and I see the Bissell van pull up to deliver to the pig. And then the bar next door is called maps. Okay. So I saw the boys go into maps and I was like, well, I'm just going to go over there and check in with the guys, see how the day's going. So I walk over there, sun on my chest, go down in there and I'm just shooting the breeze at the bar at maps, which was like a, it's like a basement bar. And Andy is working the bar. Andy Gary's there working. And I introduced myself and we just got shooting the breeze. And uh, at the time, I was trying to figure out, I knew that this was like, in our area, this was like the cusp of like the tasting room revolution, right? So we had opened the tasting room the year before. And it was like, again, we couldn't be open because we didn't always have cans. You know, we just had substance out draft out of this refrigerator. But going into 2015, you could, you could feel the change in the air. And, uh, the, you know, the, ta- the tap room was small, but we had it. It was, it was an insane vibe. It, we, we had some incredible artists that we still work with to this day. The, the, the habitat was incredible. We had some games. You know, it all seems r- routine now, but, you know, this is 2014. It was kind of on that, or 2015. So I knew that we needed food out there every day to really like make sure that, okay, you got to go out, you 
as you guys know, you have to have food. Yeah. So, um, that was at the same time, a, a, a food truck revolution was happening in Portland and there were all these new food trucks launching. So Andy flash forward back to maps. He's telling me he's about to launch a lobster roll food truck. Like the next day they set up in Baxter's oh, wow. driveway. Okay. So I said, will you come to Bissell brothers the, the day after, which was a Wednesday? He okay. said, yeah. So high roller makes its brewery debut at, at Bissell brothers. And, I'm out there waiting for them, and I see this, like, this mercury, like, low to the ground, <laughs> this huge vibe. These guys roll out with this insane vibe, and I'm just like, what is this? Um, but people loved it. They absolutely loved it. And that that summer, they set up a – they were a residency. They were there every Wednesday and Thursday. And then we worked with a small cadre of other food trucks, all of which have gone on to, to open their own brick and mortars in the Portland area. Right. It's an incredible success story. It is still uh, such a spot to be. And then we, when we merge our love of craft beer, it has one of the best tap lists in town. The lobster items are insane and decadent. We nice. have great beer events there. We've got large format frozen cocktails that people go apeshit over. It's uh, been <laughs> such a fun, a fun thing to do. And, and uh, again, as you know, you know, we, we have the brick and mortar, but um, we're beginning to get back on the road now, but in the heyday and the before times, you know, we'd come down to wake fest. We'd go to, uh, um, Copenhagen to yep. do beer events, yep. go to the West coast. Um, yep. it was, uh, because we, we already know how to do that. So we've right. got all these flat tops all over the country. Yes, you do. And <laughs> you know, we've got like elite status on our, on our Delta card. So we roll into the airport with like, huge stacks of cryos filled with lobster we you, make a scene everywhere we go you it's also insane. you also know the lay of the land of all the restaurant depots around the country yes a hundred percent you yeah. know yeah all we need to do to set up a temporary base is if there's a restaurant depot and a brewery willing to store a blackstone grill we're absolutely good. <laughs> you got it dude you got it so actually you know it's funny so you're from maine and couple episodes ago we had john hall the writer on he's from jersey yeah and i had him explain the difference between taylor ham and pork roll like the debate there i mean kind of my twofold last question here i'm gonna ask you the great lobster roll debate main style versus connecticut style what's the difference between the two and what bissell beer are you pairing with your lobster roll so what's, okay. so what's okay. the difference between the Connecticut and the Maine style? So Connecticut style is lobster meat warmed in butter, in okay. liquid butter. Okay. Um, is Connecticut style. Or just served with, you know, true Connecticut style is, is the lobster meat is warm. It's been warmed. It's not just warm butter poured on it. It's been warmed. So that's Connecticut style. Uh, Maine style is either a lobster. It's mayo-based. Okay. So the meat is served cold. Um, either with mayo on top of it, like we do high roller rolls are differentiated by the fact that we make our own mayos and sauces. Ooh. Um, some of the most famous being the lime, uh, the charred jalapeno, Ooh, okay. um, charred pineapple, roasted red pepper. Um, oftentimes these sauces are used in tandem, you know, people get more than one. So, but main style is mayo based Connecticut style is, is warm and butter. Um, I don't, they're all really good. I mean, lobster is such a unique, hard to describe flavor. Come on. You, you can be biased. I mean, we can be biased. We're on the channel here. I mean, like 
I, I prefer I mean, the mayo. I don't, eat lobster. I don't eat lobster a ton, but when I have a high roller lobster roll, it's like, okay, I, it's a good, it's a good reminder. Like, here's why everyone's lining up in the summer. Exactly. Um, that, that the high roller lobster roll, in my opinion is superior. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. There it um, is. In terms of pairing, um, I mean, the, the high roller, like lime roll with a Bissell brother substance is about as like, that's a main classic, like no okay. other. This is the Torar of the region, my friend. There we go. There Are we, we go. going to Maine this summer? No, we're going to have to now. <laughs> now we have to have the pairing. We have to have the pairing. But, Peter, I want to really thank you for your time. Yep. Um, we're going to see you in, in, in a, a week. In, in a week. In exactly time. a week. Thank you very much for coming on the show, man. And uh, I appreciate this, guys. Uh, and I appreciate the invite on behalf of everyone here at Bissell Brothers for Wakefest. Um, the two folks that, um, that I'm traveling with are so excited to see Wakefield, to see the beach, to meet with fans again and share beer. It's going to be a really great time, and I'm, I'm so excited. Well, thanks, brother. Have a good weekend, man. We'll see you soon. Uh, All right. Take later. care. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Pete Bissell, Lee Hunter, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.